Hi, and welcome to MentorCore. If you're new here, we're a community focused on helping people in the security, risk, and compliance fields grow their careers and leadership skills through mentoring. You can find more information about MentorCore at mentorcore.biz. I'm Dan Ayala, along with Lisa Beth Lentini Walker. Now, on to this week's discussion. Wonderful. We are back for another round of our MentorCore podcast. Tonight, I am delighted to have with us Rupert Evel, who is with Ethics Insight. He is a friend of MentorCore and also one of those people that you just need to know. I mean, he is always available to help chat with other people. Um, but of course, I'm sure you can give a great introduction of who you are, and we can't wait to hear more. Welcome to the show, Rupert. Thank you so much, Lisa and Dan. Thank you. Um, yeah. <laughs> we wanted to start out with, tell us about you and a little bit about how you got to where you are today. Okay. Com completely by accident, I think is the best way. So the uh, took a left we, turn and ended up here. Pretty well, um, a lot of left turns and I spun around, I got confused and then I stumbled through a door. No, I, uh, I, I started out um, in a, a different area of risk, more focused on counterterrorism, political risk. And at that stage, I was just doing it because it was very interesting. It was, I started that about 2001. So obviously it was a, um, uh, it, it felt like a bit of a calling. The, there were some sort of personal reasons as well. Uh, but what I learned then that I didn't realize at the time would be helpful is that in those sort of high stakes situations, particularly in crises, there is a kind of a clarity of thought and simplicity that is necessary for you know, survival sometimes. And the, after doing that for a few years, I, through a mentor, actually, my, my boss at the time um, suggested that he thought maybe I should have a run at being an investigator because he saw some attributes that perhaps could work in that area. And so I applied to uh, uh, to Control Risks in London. I joined them in 2006 and worked through to 2010 doing various things. That was also, we had obviously the economic crash. So it was a very boom bust era. We had huge money inflows from Russia, Middle East, former uh, Soviet Union, uh, Sub-Saharan Africa, and then this massive crash. So I, I got to, that's where I started to see that nexus of uh, politics, business, and um, financial crime, all of those things, corruption, money laundering. And in 2010, there were, uh, opportunity came up in Singapore, and it was a really fascinating one. It was investigative, but more along the intelligence gathering line. So that my remit was meant to be to build up a network of assets of people who could provide information across Southeast Asia. So in my first few years here, uh, I, I actually spent more time out of the country, particularly in the Mekong region, in Thailand, uh, Vietnam especially, Cambodia, Laos, later Myanmar when it opened up. And uh, then over the course of my sort of controversial time, the clients kind of had enough of whack-a-mole, of let's respond to investigations, uh, let's deal with yet another regulatory crisis, and it became more about prevention. So how I ended up where I am now was more, I guess, through root cause analysis. All the things that I'd investigated, all the things I'd seen in the crises, extortions, kidnaps, all this kind of stuff, what lessons could be reworked into better preventative work. So I, I started out their ethics and compliance consulting practice, as they called it, and then in 
2019, I went on my own. Um, and one of the drivers for that was I saw that the, the big companies, the, you know, the Fortune 100, 500, they're very well serviced in the sense that they have access to phenomenal advisors like you guys. They have um, you know, resources, but there's a, a tear down um, that big companies or they're growing very rapidly and they don't really know where to start with risk. So that's the, the mission is to try and sort of democratize access to the advice for that next tier down. When you're, talk, when you're talking about risk to companies like that at that level, um, how, how, how do you start this? Not, not about mentoring and not about your own growth. I'm just curious about how you start to introduce the concepts to risk to companies where they may not have established financial practices. They may not have a CFO who has you know, who is instrumented in risk mindset already. How do you start to bring that mindset into such a company? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I'll tell you when I find out. No, the, <laughs> I'm, I'm experimenting with uh, a few ideas. So I, I like to use analogies and metaphors, and it depends on who I'm working with. For some people, um, you might be able to use, well, how did you choose your home security? Where you considered your environment, you considered, you know, the what's inside your house and da da da. For other people, a much simpler one is risk is a bit like um, packing. So if I say to you, hey, we're going on a trip, um, pack. That's That doesn't give you a lot to work on. You're going to come back to me and go, well, where are we going? How long are we going for? Uh, who are we going with? What time of year? You're going to have sort of sensible questions that will help you then pack accordingly. And risk is just like that. So it's just asking them who, what, where questions. So what do you do? Where do you do it? Who do you do it with? How do you do it? Your routes to market. And then we start to work it out. So to put that in a practical example, I've got a and this is actually a friend who I'm helping out. It's an Australian organization that um, do really cool micro learning so that they're very good at reaching um, employee workforces who aren't on laptops. Um, so like uh, logistics, infrastructure, mining, those type of retail, those type of people. And they're all B2B. Uh, and he called me up and he goes, I need an anti-corruption framework. I was like, huh? Uh, how so? And he said, uh, I said, you're entirely domestic. You're entirely kind of B2B, um, you transact through subscription models that are all like, you know, on zero and Stripe and all that kind of stuff. You don't really do client entertainment. So I'm just curious as to understand your anti-corruption exposure. And he was like, ah, oh, we've been told to by a bank who's lending us money. Like, okay, well, we can put something in place, but it will probably be fairly sort of low key. But I said, what about um, your area, Dan? I said, what about, you hold a huge amount of people's personal data and what about cyber and infosec? And they were like, oh, we've got insurance for that. I was like, oh, okay, um, anything more than insurance? No, 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 the insurance will cover. I was like, yeah, it might indemnify you a bit, but your business is gone. And so the, that's the, the, the struggle, I think, for a lot of um, people who've in the smaller organizations. And I can relate to it a lot because when I started out with this business, I had zero clue about a lot of things, marketing, admin, that kind of stuff. And I was very swayed by the advice that you get from people who seem to know what they're talking about. So in marketing, for example, I wasted a huge amount of time in year one doing uh, push email campaigns and LinkedIn adverts, this kind of stuff, until I kind of worked out by accident that it was actually referrals that were much more powerful. And so the... Um, the, but I didn't know. I was being told that that was what you should do as a startup organization, and I followed that advice. So you just have to declutter the advice that they have been given by people trying to sell them stuff, and then just go, well, what is it actually you do? Where do you do it? How do you do it? And then let's work from there. Just wow, avoid likelihood, probability, all that language. Just keep it where, who, what, 
how what we should decouple the technology and the whiz bang from the underlying process <laughs> and thought this is red this is groundbreaking uh. um no i'm really <laughs> good stuff well now back to the regularly scheduled uh mentor core topics um so i guess the 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 pip the 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 fact that you decided to go out on your own, that's not an easy step to take. It's one that requires a, you know, a step off the curb or a step off a much higher curb. Um, how, how did you prepare yourself uh, knowledge-wise, skills-wise, mentally to be able to make that kind of a change? We have a lot of listeners and members in MentorCore that, that consider this kind of thing, and it's a hard decision to make. Um. That's a great question. I think that I, I did do lots of sort of reading and planning and podcasts and this, you know, all of the places you, you'd expect, all the guys at Tim Ferriss interviews, Tools of Titans type stuff and all that. Um, but what I remember is that that, uh, that phrase, no um, plan survives first contact with the enemy. So what I learned very quickly was that the, the importance is about adapting um, because you're going to make a lot of mistakes and a lot of stumbles. And the to make mistakes and then not be critical, I think the I, I opted for just testing, testing gently and lots of different things and seeing what worked. Also, the, there's another thing that I'm, I'm, a lot of people probably don't want to talk about because people find it uncomfortable talking about money. But if you get funding, you get good at spending money. If you bootstrap, you get good at making money. So I would advise people to at least start by trying to make some money. Um, because the, and that will teach you to swallow your humility. So that was well, not swallow, you swallow your pride and be a bit more humble. So in the worst bit of the lockdown, I, um, as that hit Singapore, I, I lost basically my two major projects because one was investigative. I'd done 50 investigations in year one in 20 plus countries. The other one was training around the region. Both of them were shelved because we couldn't travel anymore. Right. So at that stage, I was looking at very serious cash flow issues. So I just went to do freelancing stuff. If I was editing other people's reports, I'll edit other people's reports. You've got to keep the lights on. So I think the, the, you can't be too proud. Um, you can read and prepare all you want for what it is that you do, but just adapt and roll quickly. Adapt and roll, adapt and roll. You know, I have to say this is so refreshing because I have, I know so many entrepreneurs who are like, never let them see you sweat. And they're so dishonest about how challenging it can really be. And anyone who has gone through this pandemic and has said, oh, it was a breeze is just flat out lying, whether it was difficult at home or difficult at, from a business environment, there was some impact. Um, and I feel like unless we give it a name and unless we talk about it, we're actually doing a disservice to all of the people with hopes and aspirations in terms of not giving them a real accurate and clear picture of some of the challenges. So I'm glad that you're, you're, you're being honest and straightforward. I know that Dan and I have always talked to each other whenever there have been challenges. So um, every entrepreneur has hit something, whether it's a business plan that didn't quite pan out or, um, you know, the, the marketing campaign that led to nowhere because <laughs> somebody else told you this is what you had to do and it was totally wrong. <laughs> Yeah, I'll exactly. add to Rupert's. I'll add to Rupert's honesty. It was the toughest three years. Last, you know, since I, start, I started the company, I really started in earnest about six, seven months before uh, COVID hit, and um, it was amazingly difficult. 
uh, rewarding to get to know you can get through those kind of things. But, um, but boy, it was not, it was not an Instagram version of entrepreneurship for sure. No, no. And, and also I think what you're doing is uh, very powerful because the, I think, um, you know, one of the express, the phrases that really um, uh, stuck with me was if you can't help yourself start by helping someone else. And I think through the process of helping other people and mentoring and, and volunteering to do that, it also, it helps a lot because you, when you're going through tough times, you have to derive your professional purpose in other ways. And I think helping other people is one of the most powerful ways to do it as well. Well, you know, I'm a little the, biased, but I tend to agree. <laughs> I would agree as well. And I also think, you know, as mentors, it's good to take your own medicine because it is so easy to give people advice. And you're like, man, that was brilliant. Like, why, why don't I do that? <laughs> It's hard to take your own advice. You hear yeah. yourself tell other people wonderful things, but it's yeah. really hard to then do it yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I had that. So I volunteered to do some mentoring with the through the Association of Certified Fraud Examiners, and I remember the first couple of people I was mentoring that I'd sometimes be on these calls and I'd be hearing myself and I'd be thinking you're not speaking rubbish for once this is actually vaguely helpful why are you not doing this for yourself like the um yeah so one of the things we often talk about here is um how are you really doing and what are you really doing when it comes to maintaining well-being in the workplace in trying to find that life rhythm that works for you? What are the things that you've learned? What would you impart to others as part of that process? That's again, very, uh, it's sometimes I'm hesitant about advice because it's a bit like, you know, those parenting books, like somebody writes a book because they found something that worked for them with their child and that dynamic. And I, I think ultimately we all have to kind of test and find out what works for us. But um, the, I think for, for me, exercise is very important, but also martial arts has been more for the camaraderie uh, and a chance to sort of get out of the, you know, of my head out of the work environment and hang out with people who have very who nothing in common with it and get that sort of pressure valve. I think carving intentional time out for the family has been very important as well, like actually almost blocking it in your diary. And I know some entrepreneurs that do that. There's a guy who's uh, a good friend of mine who will block his calendar for kid time every day at certain periods. And so I think um, it depends what works for you, but the all of the things you'd imagine I've tried, you know, meditation, um, journaling, obviously exercise, eating right, trying to get sleep patterns, particularly when we, we were in the lockdown period where it was very easy to just constantly be at work and on call. Um, but I think also is when you're running your own business, there are periods where you just have to suck it up. And uh, that the um, I see, because I'm part of a, a group um, where there's a lot of founders in there, I see some people really struggle with that. So the what I would tell them is that the light is at the end of the tunnel. So I'm going through one such period at the moment because we built a SaaS and uh, the version one, the MVP went well, and we were about to put it into like really upgrade it. But that dev team's in Ukraine. So we went from um, talking to them about uh, widgets and what buttons to go where to, okay, we need to get you guys body armor and helmets and thermal imaging cameras. And 
So then we, we now face a prospect where we're probably going to have to do a complete rebuild. Um, the old one is functional, but I want to do a lot more. And the, that will need to obviously be with another team, but we still have to support team one. So you have those, the, life will kick you. Uh, and more importantly, uh, the people you care about and seeing people you care about in that kind of situation is very sobering. But you can choose to have that uh, defeat you or you can choose to have it as your fuel. So when I look at what's happened to those guys who are my friends, it strengthens the resolve on particularly anti-corruption because that is the root of this conflict uh, and, and a corrupt and unaccountable leader. And so the instead of going, oh, you know, what are we going to do? Should we just give up? This is all too much like hard work. I can't stomach going back to the 80-hour weeks for the next few months. You're like, there's a reason we're going to do this and we're going to do it well. And then there will be light at the end of the tunnel. You just have to have that faith. Bravo. Love it. That's wonderful. Well, that's, uh, you know, that's interesting in your world. And I'm curious what other things you're finding interesting right now. What else is, what else is interesting in the world of compliance, in the world of ethics, oh, the world I'm, of I'm, fraud? Yeah, I'm, I'm, what I'm loving is the learning from others bit because the, um, there's, the remit is expanding as I'm sure you're seeing so much, and there's a recognition of the overlap and the sort of mutual impact in everything from psychological safety, diversity, uh, equity and inclusion, uh, environmental, social. Uh, in, so I'm, I'm seeking out and I'm working with people on these projects who have those expertise, and it's fascinating. And so, for example, I've got a call tomorrow with someone who's I'm, who's asked me to mentor them, they're a very good friend, but honestly, I learn more from them than I think is the other way around. And she's a, a Maori New Zealander who um, is a specialist on social impact. And so understanding about the indigenous people's perspective, about the social impact of larger projects and how that will impact some of the ethics and compliance challenges and the, the sort of support you can expect to enjoy from the community, depending on how you interact with them. That's just one example. But that sort of interoperability of all of the different skill sets and um, finding really smart expert partners to work with on these projects is it's is really stimulating. It's like a um, I don't know. I just constantly feel I'm in this sort of beginner's learner mindset, but it's fun. Something tells me the people you're partnering with are saying the same thing about getting the opportunity to work with you. I don't know. I mean, I hope so. I mean, the, honestly, that sometimes when I'm doing this work and I just sit there and I'm listening to these people with these kind of deep specializations like you, Dan, uh, uh, you, when you talk about your area, I, I'm sort of like, okay, I should have gone to school more. The, um, the, but, the, so the, but when you meet with what we do, uh, particularly the ethics and compliance space, often what I find is that it's about simplification. Um, and so that sometimes I'll be talking to someone and all we're doing is simplifying and they'll be, I'll almost feel a bit fraudulent. I'm like, shouldn't I be like complicating this more to justify, you know, to, and they, the value, don't I have to like deliver something big for this? And you're like, actually, no, we've taken your code of conduct from, you know, 50 pages and no one read to sort of infographics that people actually might read. Maybe that was a better investment of time. But again, you have to step back from, you know, Plus what you the do. world would explode if, a, if an ethics and compliance person was actually fraudulent. The, 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 the paradox would just end. <laughs> well, well, yeah, there's 
actually in Singapore, there's a, there's a very brief uh, uh, segue. There's a, a big scandal at the moment because a lot of um, people have been busted cheating on their law uh, finals, and the module they were cheating on was the, the compliance and the professional ethics one. Well, I mean, you might as well go full, full, full <laughs> throttle you're gonna if you're going to go, go, go for big. it. <laughs> So, uh, you know, unfortunately, we are running at the end of our time. Uh, but one of the things that we always like to ask is, what's the best advice that you've ever been given by a mentor? Um, there's a few things that stand out. So my dad gave me good advice, which is just do, don't talk about it. Um, and the, but the other bit of advice I think is very helpful for anyone who um, is going through tough times uh, or they're annoyed or frustrated or angry or in a reactive state is there was uh, in Contreras, one of the guys who came in very early was a, a British ex-Special Forces guy. He'd been in very high stakes situations. He was now in his 60s, had a lot of that wisdom of seeing chaos. And I got in the lift one day after work fuming and he looked at me and he just said, will it matter in a year? And that's been very, very helpful because if you put most things through that prison, there's very few things that, that you answer yes. And those very few things are, should be your priorities, like health and family. Um, the rest, yeah. We're recording this so late, late in the day here. And I got to tell you, that's just a shockingly wonderful way to end a day. Uh, and they end a discussion, will it matter in a year? Um, I, I can't tell you how many things are already going through my head filtering through that prism um uh, great well thank you so much rupert um everybody thank you for uh, joining us rupert evel the founder of ethics insight um and a good friend of MentorCore, and i've got to say also a large contributor to the compliance career connection as well and thank you for all that you've done for that group as well um and uh, we're so grateful to have had you here uh to talk with us well thank you so much for having me it's been fun and thanks to everybody for listening. Um, if you're interested in learning more about MentorCore, you can go to mentorcore.biz uh, and find out more. You can also find our podcast. If you're listening to this on audio, go check out the video version. Uh, if you're listening to this, if you're watching this on YouTube, go check out the audio version in your favorite podcast application. Uh, you can search for MentorCore, M-E-N-T-O-R-C-O-R-E, all one word. And uh, we'll see you on the next MentorCore.